Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm Landon. I oversee the worship here at the Power Place, if you don't already know. And the Power Place exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily. You don't need a man to disciple you. You just need the Lord. And that's, that's what our job is as the church. We want to help you encounter his presence daily so that you can be discipled by him. And we're living in the year of supernatural suddenlies. You can see it on the wall right out here as you exit these back doors. The year of super, supernatural suddenlies. And I've seen in my life personally so many of those over and over again. And we're experiencing them at the church. And for the past two weeks, we've heard Pastor Isaiah demonstrate or teach us what it looks like to be in the suddenlies position. Amen. And, and, and this week, I feel like this message goes hand in hand with that, to be in the suddenlies position and to continue that thought, that idea on. Our worship to the Lord, it makes way for things to happen suddenly in the supernatural. I'll say that again. Our worship to the Lord, it makes way for things to happen suddenly in the supernatural. It, it may not necessarily be in your timing, but it will. It will happen. And worship is a weapon of warfare. It's a weapon of warfare that, that the Lord gave the church, which is the body of Christ, to use. And, and the word of God says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a weapon that the enemy's gates cannot hold up against. It will fall. And so today, if you're taking notes, the title of today's sermon is Warfare Worship. And we're looking in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Before we get to chapter 20, I just want to set the scene real quick. In chapters 17, 18, and 19, we have a king. His name is Jehoshaphat, and he's the king of Judah. And he's partnering with King Ahab, who is the king of Israel. He's a wicked king. And you may know that he was married to Jezebel, who was a very wicked woman. And we still deal with the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Ahab today. These are wicked people that Je Jehoshaphat decides to partner with. Jehoshaphat loves the Lord, but he decides to partner with King Ahab by allowing his son to marry Ahab's daughter. It matters who you marry and who you decide to associate yourself with. It is okay to tell your children, this person is not the right person for you. It, it's okay because you, you, you could possibly be saving them from a lifetime of, of trouble, a lifetime of, of chaos, a lifetime of confusion, a lifetime attached to wickedness. You could be saving them. It's okay to talk to your kids and say, listen, this is not the one for you. I, I almost lost it. I almost lost it with my wife, Allie, because her parents said, hey, something needs to change with this dude. And she, sat, she, uh, she was sat down by her parents, and I, I'm so thankful for this. She was sat down by her parents, and they, they told her some truths that they saw in me. They needed a change. We broke up for 30 days. We fasted, and we prayed, and we sought the Lord, and I asked the Lord to change some things in me. There were some things that needed to be changed. I had to humble myself before him, change some things in me, let the Lord do a work in me, 
And then Allie accepted me back. Come on, everybody say amen to that. That's why we're married today. And, and I'm so thankful that Allie had godly parents enough to sit her down and, and share some hard truth. And I'm thankful for in-laws like that this morning. So I honor you guys today. Uh, but it's okay. It's okay to have hard conversations like that so that you don't partner with wickedness. And Ahab, he asked Jehoshaphat to come and fight with him in Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead was a, it, it was a stronghold. It was a fortress that Solomon built, King Solomon. Back in the day, he built this fortress, and then one day it fell into the hands of the Syrians. So uh, some, some evil people, uh, it fell into their hands, and Ahab decided he wanted to take it. And so he, he's asking Jehoshaphat to partner with him to take on Ramoth Gilead. And, and Jehoshaphat, being a God-fearing man, said, why don't you consult the Lord first and, and see what he says? So Ahab thinks about it, and, and instead of consulting God-fearing people, he consulted false prophets, not just a few, but 400 false prophets that he gathered around him. And he, he uh, consulted them, but they were carrying what uh, Micaiah, he was a prophet back in the day, they were, he was, they were carrying what Micaiah called a lying spirit. The Lord allowed a lying spirit to control these 400 people. Why did the Lord allow this? Because of the evil that was in King Ahab. And inevitably, unless he turned around and went the other direction, God said, this is your fate. I'm going to set this up and make this happen. It's going to lead to your death. Because when you follow wickedness, when you follow evil, it will always lead to death. And, and he decided to ignore the prophet of the Lord, Micaiah. He welcomed those who said what his itching ears wanted to hear and turned away from the truth from the prophet Micaiah. He said this. He literally says this in these chapters. Because he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. And Ahab, it says Ahab actually hated him because he hated what was good because the spirit that he was allowing to operate inside of him. The spirit hated good. Don't surround yourself with people who will only tell you what you want to hear. You'll never get anywhere if you, if you allow that. Surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth in love. It may not feel good. It may hurt a little bit. It may be tough to hear, but swallow your pride, humble yourself, and the Lord will raise you up. Surround yourself with the people who are going to tell you the truth in love. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know who these, these people are that I'm talking about right now. You, you have those, those fake people who just want to get on your good side. Really, they have a motive. They want something from you or, or uh, something attached to you, uh, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll flood you with kisses and praises and, oh, you're the best. You're so awesome. I just love this about you and that about you. Here, let me give you a gift. You're amazing. And then, and, and, and they just tell you what your itching ears want to hear. They never tell you the truth in love. So that's how you can define the person who, who is a friend and who's an enemy, who has hard conversations with you. Who will sit you down and tell you that you're, you're straying off the path or, or I see this in you that I feel like can be con corrected? That is a person who loves you. That is a friend. That's someone who knows the word of God, who's led by his spirit. So surround yourself with those kinds of people. And, and while Jehoshaphat knew all of this of King Ahab 
and Jezebel, he still chose to fight by his side. And here's what happened. Ahab died according to the prophet Micaiah. All he had to do was listen and turn from his ways. But, but because of that, because he decided to continue partnering with that spirit, he died. In fact, he was shot by a random arrow and in his chariot bled to death. And then Jehoshaphat narrowly escapes this whole mess that he was in, realizes his wrong, and then went back to the Lord, which brings us to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 right now. Verse 1, after this, Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon tomorrow, that is in Gedi. This is only 50 miles away from where they are, by the way. 50 miles, uh, if, if they rush, they can get there in about a day. Uh, they're on, on foot, they're on chariot. But uh, let's say a day and a half, they're away from, from coming to destroy Judah and the surrounding areas. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and what did he do? He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in the land in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. And here it is. But our eyes are on you. God, I pray that your word would come forth in power today. God, I pray that it would pierce our hearts. Your word is a sharp two-edged sword. I pray that it would pierce our hearts between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. God, would you search our thoughts and our hearts? God, would you plant a seed inside of us so that we leave change today? Would you water that seed that you plant? We want to grow in you. Would you nurture that, Lord, as we seek your face daily? We love you in Jesus' name. If you're taking notes today, point number one is this. Worship corrects our focus. You see King Jehoshaphat, and, and he was looking to man. He was looking to King Ahab. What did that lead to? It led to death. He said, I got to get out of here. This is not leading to where I want it to go. I have to get out of here. And this whole, this whole situation where these men were coming against him, he said, I've got to change some things, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on my face before the Lord. I'm going to call people to come and fast and pray with me. We're going to worship our Lord. And guess what it did? It shifted his focus to the right thing. King Jehoshaphat shifted his focus to the Lord, and it wasn't just his focus. 
It was the people that he was leading. Notice that he called everyone from the area. Come on and join me. Come on. Here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fast and we're going to pray to the Lord because I know that my God can, can move mountains. I know what my Lord can do. I've seen it before and I want to see it again. So come and join me. We're going to see this happen. So that means that you who leads your family, you can focus on the Lord. And as you focus on the Lord, the people will follow and you'll see resort, results. So men of your house, lead your family as you focus on the Lord. Don't do it from your own strength, from your own knowledge, from your own experiences. Do it from your time that you've spent with the Lord and how he's leading you. I'm going to focus on you, and as you speak to me, I'm going to share it with my family, and we're going to go that way. Single moms, single parents, lead your family as you focus on the Lord. Businessmen and women, this, this is massive. This is, this is uh, our mission field. If you are called to the secular workplace, this is your mission field every day. You probably spend more time in your job than you even do at home. If you're working from eight to five or nine to five, the majority of your time is spent with your workplace. If you calculate that time together, imagine how much influence you could have if you invested in the people around you, if you invested in yourself first and then poured that out into others. I'm focusing on the Lord. Here's where I'm going. Do you want to join me? Let, let your leadership, let your life be what's needed for other people to follow. Let your life reflect Christ. College student, high school student, lead your friend group as you focus on the Lord. Man, I remember being in college. I, I didn't know up from down. And I, I went to a Christian college, but I was so, I, I thought that Christian college was going to be forever youth camp. I was sorely let down. Uh, it was not even remotely close. Um, and it's so easy to get swept up in all of that. It's so easy in high school to get swept up in the friend groups and uh, vying for popularity and attention and uh, am I number one on the football team? Am I, am I um, desired by the girls to go to prom with uh, or you know, to even have a, uh, their phone number to talk to them to be friends with? All those things you can get easily swept up in. But I promise you it's temporary and it will fade and it will bring you no joy. It's, it's a black hole. It's an empty void. It will never fill you. It will never sustain you. Only the Lord can do that. So let me encourage you, college student, high school student, focus on the Lord and lead your friends to him. That's where life is. That's where the living water is. That's where you can experience freedom. If you start earlier in 2 Chronicles and end later in chapter 20 in 2 Chronicles, you'll see Jehoshaphat's focus. It's going back and forth between man and God. It's going back and forth between man and God. Let it be a warning to all of us that when our focus shifts to man or the things of this world, we will inevitably fall. It could have been Jehoshaphat that was hit by that arrow, but the Lord spared him and he realized his wrong. He said, I got to get out of here. So let it be a warning to us. Don't put your focus on men. Keep it on the Lord. 
When our fear of men becomes greater than our fear of the Lord, our minds become depraved. And, and what depraved mean is, it means is morally corrupt or wicked. We have a depraved mind when we focus on men. When our fear of the Lord becomes greater than our fear of man, our minds become sound or sane, mentally healthy. And I, I, I truly believe this. I believe that the root cause of the mental illness that we see so much today is the lack of the fear of the Lord. It's a symptom of a deeply rooted sickness in our world, but the root is the lack of the fear of the Lord. What do we do when we call a, uh, like when we download a computer file and attached to that file is a virus? What does it do? It begins to affect the rest of the computer. It begins to corrupt things. It's a virus and a virus is a sickness. It's the opposite of healthy. It's an illness. And, and, and when we have the fear of man and we allow those things to be downloaded into our minds and our hearts of all the worldly things of the recognition, the accolades, the promotion, the people pleasing, the comparison, all those things that happen when you look for, for uh, the praise of man, I can guarantee you that there are viruses, spirits attached to it, and they all are corrupting our hearts and our minds. You begin to worship those things, that becomes the priority to you then, and, and you need more of it because that's where your focus is. It's, it, it's a place that cultivates a mental illness. It's a sickness of the mind. It's a lack of the fear of the Lord. But when we have the fear of the Lord and we allow his word to be downloaded into our minds, into our hearts, we align ourselves with him and we worship him. It cultivates a mental health, a sound mind. And that's exactly what the word of God says that he gives us. We do not have the spirit of fear. That's not what the Lord gave us. He gives us a sound mind. That's a gift from the Lord. You do not have to live a life of mental illness. You don't have to live there. You don't have to live in depression. You don't have to live with anxiety. Some, some, some of these words that I'm saying are blowing people's minds because you've heard all your life that it's nothing that you can change. It's a lie of the enemy because the Lord gives you a sound mind. That's what happens when we have the fear of the Lord. We live with a sound mind. There is no medicine in this world that can do what the Lord can do. He gives us a sound mind. That is the Lord's will for us. It's the Lord's will for you. And, and, and let me just say this. I'm not saying you're evil or wrong if you're taking medication. I don't, I don't want you to leave with that idea. I'm just saying that we need to become more aware of the reality of the supernatural spiritual battle that's taking place constantly over our minds. And most people just boil it down to this idea that it's just simply my lot in life to live with mental illness. It's just simply what I have to deal with. You just accept what the world has given you and, and labeled you as and placed on you without a fight and saying, Lord, is this your will for my life? Because according to scripture, that's not what I'm seeing. His will is health and wholeness and a sound mind. That's what God has for me. 
It's a reality that I want to live in, that I will receive because that's what the Lord has for me. And when we worship the Lord, our focus will be corrected to him. Second Chronicles 20 verses 13 to 15. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Put your focus on the Lord. When you do that, it takes the responsibility of facing the situation on your own and it puts it on the Lord. How freeing is that? I don't have to face this on my own. I don't have to deal with this on my own. I don't have the strength to do it on my own, but in Christ, when I put my focus on him, when I lift my worship to him, he fights the battle for you. It's not ours, it's the Lord's. Verses 18 to 19, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. He humbled himself and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. It's, it's a core value here. We do loud. We're all about being loud. And, and it's reflected in the word of God. King Jehoshaphat, he humbled himself before the Lord and the people followed his lead. That's what we see in that scripture. The people followed how he led. Well, I'm not a king. Okay, maybe not, but you can lead your family. You can lead your coworkers. You can lead your friends. You, can, you have an area in your, of your life where you have some sort of authority to lead others in the ways of God. And as you lead, they'll follow. As you lead them, insert your them in the ways of the Lord, they'll follow. I said it before, it may not be immediate. It may not be in your timing, but they will follow in your footsteps. Just lead the way. And notice that they praised him with a very loud voice. We do that often here. We like to get loud because our praise, our situation doesn't dictate our praise. Our praise dictates our situation. Number two, if you're taking notes, worship is offensive and offensive. And I'll, I'll explain that a little bit to you. The English language, man, it's so weird. You have one word, multiple meanings, crazy. Offensive and offensive. It's just how you say it. Potato, potato. Uh, how is it offensive? Hebrews 4.12. We just, I just prayed this earlier. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a weapon that we wield. And guess what? Singing scripture in our worship is warfare. It can do what no earthly weapon can do and cause more damage to the enemy's camp than we can imagine. Second Chronicles 20 verses 21 through 23. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. You got it. 
For he is good, he is above all things. Good. Verse 22. Sing praise. <laughs> Listen to this. At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. <laughs> the armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. I just get, I just get this picture. Like, you got Ammon over here, and these people are saying, Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. The God's like, oh, His love endures forever. And then you got, you got the uh, uh, Mount Seir, and they're like, bro, shut up. What are you doing? He's like, don't tell me to shut up. <laughs> Whips his sword out, bam, cuts his head off. And then all of a sudden, mass chaos breaks out. Like, all these guys are, what is happening? We're, are we, we're having a, like a surprise ambush on each other. I'm, I'm getting in on this. I just can imagine the chaos and the confusion that took place in these armies coming against Judah. It's crazy to think about how in the world did these guys come against each other? Only by the Spirit of God. Only by this. And it's from singing. Someone is singing. Literally, it's all they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Can you imagine that being your war cry? Like they're not saying... Let the bodies hit the floor. You know, they're not like, it's not like death metal they're playing that would suit the situation. It, they're, they're singing, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And literally people's heads are getting cut off. Like what in the world is happening? But when you sing scripture, it is a powerful and effective weapon. Joy. We sing it. Uh, we sang it last week. Joy is a song of warfare. It is a war cry. It's a fun song, but, but, but make no mistake about it. It is a cry for war. It is a battle song. We're going to war against the enemy when we sing joy. He hates the fact that we can have joy in the Lord. He hates the fact that we know that we can have fullness of joy in his presence. He hates it. And when we sing it, it shuts his mouth. How is it offensive? Those that have chosen to partner with a religious spirit will always be offended by authentic worship to the Lord. How do I know if I've partnered with a religious spirit? How do I know if that's me? It's easy. You get in his word and let him search your heart. Because the word of God, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit between joints and marrow and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the word of God. It's as simple as that. Get in his word, let him search your heart, and ask the Lord if there's anything in you that's not like him. Is there anything in me that doesn't look like you? And ask him to reveal it to you. It's as simple as that. There's no, you don't have to, the word of God is so easy. We sing this song, um, it's easy in his presence. It's easy in his presence. All of this is easy. So there's no, there's no seance or uh, you know, uh, process that, that you can go through to know, uh, have, I, have I partnered with some sort of experience? Now, if you're, if you're dealing with seances, yeah, there's a, there's a red flag right there. You're probably dealing with spirits. Um, but there's no special thing that you've got to go through. 
uh, to jump through hoops and figure out, am I partnering with the spirit of religion? Ask the Lord. Reveal it to me. Get in his word. It's the only thing that will refine you. When you get close to the refiner's fire, which is his word, it will refine you. You've got no choice but to be refined. He will reveal things in you that need to be cut off. Just like the conversation with Ali, when we broke up, there were things in me that needed to be refined and cut off, and they were highlighted through Ali's parents who love the Lord, who know the Lord, who spend time in his presence, and they said, we see something that needs to change. We see something that, that we just, we're not liking that. We're not liking what, what we're seeing here, and it needs to be changed. And so through hard conversation, through questions, um, we were able to, to be real with one another and, and say, yeah, things need to change. Lord, refine that in me. Reveal it to me. Refine me in that. There have been uh, religious spirits offended by the way people and worship leaders here worship at the power place. It is inevitable when you have authentic worship, a religious spirit will always be offended. But there's a story in the Bible where a religious spirit, uh, and it just so happened to be this man's wife, came against him for praising the Lord in a way that she thought was unfit, that she thought you don't need to act this way. You don't need to look this way. You don't need to worship this way. And it was David and his wife, McCall. And she came to him and, and, and she said, what are you doing? You, you are a king. Why are you dancing like this before the Lord? This is uncalled for. This is not the way that it's supposed to look. But who defines that anyways? Who, who are we as man to define what worship to the Lord looks like? And, and he says this, his response to her, I'll become even more undignified than this. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and I say, I say this with the caveat that if your worship at home doesn't look like your worship here, then it's just a performance and the Lord sees and knows the intentions of your heart. You are, you're lying to the Lord for the attention of man. And, and the Lord sees that. You're not fooling. You don't have to try and fool me. You can fool me all you want, but you will never fool the Lord. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows all. He sees all. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows our thoughts, our, our deepest thoughts. Nothing can be hidden from the Lord. So don't, don't lie to the Lord for the praise of man. Number three, worship silences the enemy. Chapter 20, verses 24 to 30. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. That is mind-blowing. Because of their worship, none escaped. There were no prisoners. There were none who got off like Jehoshaphat did before when they came against Ramoth Gilead. None escaped. They were all dead. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things. When they took for themselves until they could carry no more, they were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned. 
every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdom of the countries when they heard what the Lord, that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. I can guarantee you those dead bodies weren't making a peep. Just ain't going to happen. They're laying there lifeless on the ground because their worship, what did it do? It silenced the enemy. The worship to the Lord silenced the enemy. And not only were they silenced, but they took the spoils from the enemy. And and as as I was studying this week, I was reminded again of the song that Pastor Isaiah sang last week. And I could just picture them going around. Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Three days worth. I took back what he stole from me. It silences the enemy. And guess what? The Lord showered gifts upon it. That wasn't part of the bargain. That's not part of of, uh, what we should expect, but that's what he did because he's a God who goes above and beyond, who will do more than we can ask or imagine. He exceeds every thought, every expectation that we may have on him. And David, in the Psalms, chapter 8, verse 2, he says this, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Who are these children and infants that, that he's talking about here? It's anybody who would depend on someone else. Uh, you know, we, we talk about children as dependents. You get tax money for them. Um, yeah, they depend on you to eat, to live, to go to school, to have clothing. They're dependents. They're, they're someone who depends on someone else. And you know when you're a kid, you know, I love this scripture because it says it, it teaches them to tell of your strength. And it reminded me, like as a kid, you ever say, or, or one of your kids said, uh, my dad can beat your dad up. You know, like when you get upset and, and they take your toy or, or uh, you know, something out of your lunch and they're like, I wouldn't do that. My dad can beat your dad up. That's what I see here. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength. Yeah, my dad can beat yours up. And, and this is one of those scriptures that's referenced by Jesus in the New Testament. I love the word of God. I love that um, there's so much cross-referencing. There's so much confirming uh, across the word of God. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing to think about 66 different books, multiple different off- authors, yet there's so much that can be... Um, uh, you know, confirmed through other scriptures. And, and, and Jesus references a Psalm of David. How awesome is that? It, and, and let me set the scene up for you a little bit. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching um, and, and performing miracles. And, and the children are running around. They're excited and they're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And, and the religious leaders are protesting and asking Jesus to silence them. And, and because they're offended, here's what Jesus says, Matthew 21, 16. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? <laughs> these are religious leaders of the day. They're probably so offended. 
Have you not read the scriptures, you religious leader? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. And and one translation says perfect praise. You have taught children and infants to give you perfect praise. And just like kids, their their, um, cognitive ability is not developed fully enough yet to to have the vocabulary to say what they want to say always. Uh, Just like those children, when we praise the Lord, it may not uh, seem the best in our minds. It may not seem fitting for how worthy he is. But by the time that our praise reaches him, by the spirit, it has been perfected. Our, Our praise, as lacking as it may seem, by the time it reaches the Lord, it's already been perfected. And he teaches us through his word, by his spirit, to sing perfect praise, to give the Lord perfect praise where we're not lacking. It's the simplicity of what we we say. It can be the perfect praise to the Lord. It's just like what Jehoshaphat had the singers on the front line sing. The simplicity of give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. How simple is that? Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. And when we sing perfect praise, it silences the enemy. It is powerful and effective. Why doesn't, why doesn't God, uh, I'm sorry, uh, let me read this scripture for you. Revelation verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom dominion reign of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our believing brothers and sisters has been thrown down at last. He who accuses them and keeps bringing charges of sinful behavior against them before our God day and night. So why does it matter if we silence the enemy? Because it silences the mouth of the accuser. He can no longer come before the Lord and say, look what they did. Can you... You see their thought right there. You see that action that they had. You see how they've done this. He can no longer accuse you when you silence him with perfect praise. That's that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to prove us guilty to the Lord so that we have to go with him and live forever in the lake of fire. That's what he wants. He's like, if I got cast cast down here, then you got to come with me. He wants to prove us guilty. So why doesn't God silence the enemy? Why doesn't God do it himself? He's got the power. He doesn't because he has given us the power by his spirit that lives in us when we receive the salvation through Jesus Christ. We just have to utilize the power because it's warfare, worship. Worship team, you can join me. I want to read this story to you from a pastor named Derek Prince uh, because It's a perfect expression, I feel like, of of what it looks like to exercise warfare worship even when you're not ready for it. It's a moment that he he wasn't anticipating, but because of their worship and they were warfaring in the spirit, results happen. It says this. This is Derek Prince speaking. I was pastoring a congregation in London, England. Two Russian Jewish women who were believers had come to visit my wife and me in our home. And we were praising the Lord together in our living room. And these two Russian Jewish believers really believed in praising the Lord out loud. 
In the middle of this, a lady who was a member of my congregation arrived unexpectedly, bringing her husband with her. She said, this is my husband. He's just come out of jail and he has an evil spirit. He needs deliverance. (laughs) I'll tell you, that embarrassed me. I really didn't know what to do about it, but I couldn't refuse. So I said, well, let's just keep praying. So we continued praying and praising the Lord out loud. And after a while, this man who had just come out of prison came up to me rather sheepishly and said, I'm going. There's too much noise here. Now, I hadn't prepared an answer, and I'm sure that, but I'm sure that the answer that I gave him was the right one. I said, listen, the one who doesn't like the noise is an evil spirit because we're praising Jesus, and the evil spirit hates that. You've got two options. If you go now, the evil spirit will go with you, but if you stay, the evil spirit will go without you. He said, I'll stay. We went on praising the Lord, And about 10 minutes later, he came up to me again. He said, the evil spirit just left. I felt him leave my throat. Amen. Amen. He said, well, I've always remembered that. I really didn't understand how to handle evil spirits at the time, but in my foolishness and ignorance and weakness, God came to my help. And I took away from that a lesson. The lesson is this. When we praise the Lord out loud and continue to do it, we embarrass and trouble the devil much more than he can embarrass or trouble us. So remember that in many situations, when you're confronted with the challenge to praise the Lord, you've got two options. If you leave and give up, you'll leave with the evil spirit. But if you stay and steadfastly praise the Lord, the evil spirit will leave without you. Praise is a weapon that is given to us by God to silence the enemy's accusations against us. It's a weapon of warfare. Can you stand with me this morning? It's a weapon of warfare. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just lift our hands to heaven this morning? begin to thank him. Thank him for the the weapon that he's given us, the power of his spirit that he's empowered us by. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Come on, open your mouth, lift your voice this morning, begin to thank him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you that as we sing, as we declare your greatness, As we declare your scripture, there's power. It's powerful and effective. I thank you, Lord, that it silences the enemy. I thank you, Lord, that it corrects our focus to you. I thank you that it's an offensive weapon. Thank you, God. You're so good this morning. I want us to have an opportunity to to exercise warfare worship today. And I want you to ask yourself, Actually, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, is there a spirit that I am partnering with that I need to lay down before you that has to leave through warfare worship? Just begin to ask him, God, would you highlight that to me? Whether it's a religious spirit, whether it's a spirit of 
of pride. God, would you reveal that to us this morning? Reveal it to us this morning. God, if there's anything that doesn't look like you, reveal it to me. It has to go. Religious spirit, you have to go. Spirit of pride, you have to go. Come on, begin to lift up your praise to him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.